our aim is yeah to finish every episode we, with zero people listening. As you said, the people listening. who didn't listen to last week's episode, mm -hmm. this week's episode is going to make much sense. And we are not interested in these people. We only want the people <laughs> who have committed for the entirety since the very first episode when I was a bald, taller man. <laughs> we should, we should, this is uh, some swag we need. We need like the one hour club. Right, <laughs> the, the people that make it to the one hour of the episodes, they, you know, we should like at some point we'll we'll whisper a special code <laughs> at the one hour mark. They can type it in somewhere, and we'll send them. Like I got past the one hour mark. Please, give me some counselling. <laughs> right. Yes. Okay. So this this article, it was Sonic 3D. Mm -hmm. It was one of the developers of Sonic 3D. Um, and he was responding to the, you know, uh, how one of the cheats for the game, what you had to do is just, just smack the console. <laughs> and you, really? And you got the level select. Right, genuinely. That, what, that, was that like, it just turned out to be the, the, a bug, and it just said, oh, that's a good cheat for us to or is it actually built in on purpose? And if so, how did it detect the smacking? A bit of both. <laughs> how did it de detect the smacking? <laughs> that's good. No, they, so what, what actually happened was they, they, they would send the games to, to Sega to do their um, like testing or whatever, and quite often they get sent back and go, you know, this game crashed. Okay. And they wouldn't know where it crashed or what it had done. Mm. So, so he started like you know, adding like try-catch equivalents that would display like a, a, a sensible yeah. error message so they would get something back that they could work with. Uh, but then when it came time to ship, like for well, these error messages, it's it's not great to have them there. So what do I do with this code? Um, so all the the catch blocks. I thought, well, it, it needs to be something that clears the memory. Mm -hmm. So we just directed it at the level select screen. Oh. So if you cause the game to crash, which a smack is probably very likely to do. And that's it. And it was causing a, like a processor exception where the processor would panic and throw an error, and it would take you to level select. And that's that's how that worked. Oh, that's pretty amazing. Oh, that's kind of, don't know if it's good enough for the episode, but <laughs> <laughs> it was it was a fun chat, fun chat we could have. Yeah. Um, we've had some listener feedback. Once again. Yes. Um, now I'm a little bit embarrassed about this, and this is this is one of the ones on YouTube. A lot of people complaining that I whisper. I've noticed that, and for some reason I started copying it in the first episode where I just did the same thing, which is something I tend to do. When do you get dragged in by people's accents as yeah. well? Yeah. So it, when, whenever we go to the, you know, Google being in San Francisco, whenever we go out there, <laughs> I find one week in, I'm like, yeah, yeah, ah, ah, is that like. I'm like totally into this. Totally there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know what accent I was trying to do there. It sort of it went sort of Irish. You have enough oh. people that can tell the accents apart. It's like, it was totally American. It's like, you're whispering now. I know. OK. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I think it's, is, am I just trying to? Trying to force myself be to confident, do man. some variance in my voice because I, I don't want to <laughs> be that person who sort of drones on. So um, I'm going to say sorry, not sorry. I'm just going just gonna, well, just gonna to whisper go. my way through. Did we actually introduce him last time? Oh, someone mentioned that, actually. Yes, yes, because yeah. we, we apologized because we didn't introduce oh. you. And then we, we forgot, forgot to do it again. So we've got to get on top of We'll write it down somewhere just so we, yes. we don't forget this we'll, time. We'll around. put it in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> That should um, definitely be there. So I, uh, um, you know, because we're doing this as a podcast, right? Which will be obvious Confusing to the people. With all the cameras around us. Yes. Now the people who are listening to the podcast won't be able to see that. <laughs> In fact, the people watching the videos won't be able to see the cameras around us because what happens is the <laughs> <laughs> they keep the cameras out of shot. I mean, one of the cameras to each camera is always out of shot just naturally. Uh, but that's, I think that's, they call it production value. Yes, it's very it's very professional thing going on here. 
Um, but like um, it, people who watch the video, because they put it, this on YouTube, is they, they had a video, uh, a little clip, that wasn't actually in the episode. And what happened is, oh. is we sat down, right? We sat down, and you fell over, right, deliberately, and Wait. I laughed for 20 minutes, <laughs> right? And, and this made me look like what in England we'd call a pillock, right? Because it, it, it looked like that, that's the level of my sense of humor. Like it's so I mean, you don't set the bar very high usually. <laughs> but I thought, like, <laughs> okay, like, here's, so, so here's, here's what actually happened, right? Because I need Breaking to the fourth wall right there. Yes. So, so, so what happens is we, we, they asked us to, do, to sit down. You know, it's right. for the intro sequence. For right? the intro sequence. So they could so choose the best good. take where we sit yeah. down, face each other. Yeah. And, it's, and I wasn't very good at that. Because <laughs> sitting down is very easy until you're asked to do it on camera. And then, and then everything. And in your defense, yeah. it is on your job description to be good at sitting down. Exactly. I didn't sign on for this. I didn't sign on for sitting this down is on camera. Like, extracurricular activities for you. So I, I, like, I think I, I kind of knocked something over the first time. Second time, I accidentally barged against the restaurant wall here. <laughs> the real um, restaurant the, wall. The real restaurant wall. And then when we finally got it right, you did a ve very funny, <laughs> very funny fake fall over. And that was very funny in context. Funny in context. Out of context makes me look like an idiot who's really easily amused. Well, I quite which I appreciated the little video. It was just me falling over and you're laughing. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I am funny. <laughs> <laughs> So um, I went to Frontiers. Right. Just, I, did, did, you, did you speak? Did you just attend? I, I intended to just intend. I attended, I intended, attended to just intend to attend. But I didn't. <laughs> I attended and did not. I then attended to intend to speak because I was invited to at the uh, lightning sessions. Lightning. <laughs> but later on, <laughs> I hope you got all that. Is that, yes. that, that exactly it's like it's like the JavaScript template tag string Thanks literal string. all over again? Good, good callback. We get some of those. If you're wow. a repeat <laughs> listener, you know what's going on. So you did lightning talk, did you? I did, um, and that's not what I'm going to talk about. Because, <laughs> <laughs> but that would have been an excellent segue if that was what I was going to talk about. But um, is there a video of your lightning talk? The, um, no. No, I don't think there is. I don't think there even is. I was trying to plug you here, man. I, well, I know. I appreciate it. But I don't, oh, well. I don't think it was. Oh, well. Um, they had a pub quiz uh, the night before the conference. Oh. And like web-based? Uh, yes and no. Like, the questions how were, well, the thing is, like quizzes can have multiple questions of different subjects. So that's how they <laughs> no did way. it. No way. Exactly, right? Wow. So <laughs> some of them were web-based, and some of them were like, what are all the members of Take That, which I knew. Which I was sort of embarrassed about, well, except one. Okay, was one. It got you a point, so I guess. It, it did. Multiple points, even. And all the teams, because you, you walked in and you were given a name, mm -hmm. and it was a name of a past speaker at Frontiers, and of which I am. <laughs> so, so I was like, when I walked in, I was handed a piece of paper that said Leah Varu. I was like, okay. oh, uh, oh, why do I have this? Is that, oh, that's the table you sat at. And I walked past the the Jake Archibald table. And I was like, can I not? <laughs> Can I sit at the? Can no. I sit at my table, please? Oh, yeah, I want to sit. Okay, no. So, and then you know, it turned out that um, there wasn't enough people to fill What's all the Leah tables. Was there as well, and sitting at your table? No. Oh. No. I, I was one of the few uh, speakers who were there, like, and, and not at the table. But they shuffled everyone around, so because to, okay. to make sure there was enough people in each team. And by the end of it, 
there was one table with no one on it. Was it your table? It was the Jake table. <laughs> <laughs> team Team Jake scored zero points that night. <laughs> no one wanted to As in every table. other night. Leave Rue table, third place. That's because I know just all the people in Just behind take that. Whose table? I don't remember, it's not important. <laughs> <laughs> His third place was the real winner, I think. <laughs> was it like anything good you learned from the quiz, like a good question that stuck with you? Uh, all the people from Take That. <laughs> it's uh, Bar Barry Garlow and. <laughs> I think Jason every Orange. web developer should know the and members of Take That. Uh, they, they also played um, uh, Say La Vie by uh, Bewitched and just asked for one extra bonus point who knows what this song is. I know what that song is. So, do you know what that song is? Homework for you. It's the best song ever. <laughs> it's an Irish girl band. It's amazing. They do little bits of Irish in it. We, we shall put it in the notes. Yes. To other people to enjoy it as well if they haven't heard it yet, because I certainly haven't, and I'm not sure what I've gotten myself <laughs> into just now. <laughs> so, one of the things I, I enjoy, because I listen to our podcast back right? multiple just times, multiple times in the edit, and um, because we're now doing the, the, the videos as well, right? You're whispering. I'm whispering. <laughs> <laughs> it's just our little secret. <laughs> What's in the podcast? So the um, yeah, well, like uh, we do the we've got little pauses between the subjects in case that's one of the things that's going to be edited for the video. Oh yeah, we need to look that you know makes it easier to to cut out the stupid shit that we do. <laughs> there you go. That's the, uh, <laughs> the, the summer swear. It happens <laughs> every episode. It's all right. We'll bleep it again. Finally, we got, we got that cleared. It's okay. You it's can okay. Do that. Yeah, it's perfect. Um, but yeah, that, that little bit of silence is really obvious. So I feel like we need a jingle <laughs> or something between. I want to have this. You know the the more you know rainbow gif. I want to have that just with awkward silence. Awkward. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's on the podcast where it's awkward, and that's not a visual medium. So we're going to struggle to oh. to do that. So we just, we we need just like a. We should talk about the web, though. <laughs> Wait, this is what's, what this podcast is about. Yes, no, exactly. At some point, we we filter out a lot of people. I think in the first five, <laughs> ten minutes of every show, if people can't um, handle us at our worst. They don't yeah. deserve it at our best. Well, I, I think what most people don't realize is it's actually an infinite podcast. Uh, just <laughs> no one ever gets past the first hour, or so that we actually record. <laughs> Whereas we've just sat, we've been here. Since the last episode, still talking. It's just, it's actually And they just cut out the bits they like. Yep, exactly, exactly. Pretty much. So what, what, do, you, what do you want to talk about? We've got, um, we've got our, our menu of subjects. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> our menu of subjects. Um, I have been dabbling a little bit with WebRDC. Oh. Exactly. I mean, we can stop the topic right there. We pretty much already spoiled the conclusion. Not even that. Yeah, that's that's all I know about WebRTC. That is the first thing that hear. already annoys me. So WebRTC has been around for a good amount of time. I want to say at least four years, because I know that Sam Dutton's article on HTML5 Rocks is from 2013. Yes. So it's, it's been around for a while. It, yes. it allows you to basically create a connection to another browser that can be even on a different machine, even on a different network, so theoretically. Video calling. Um, no. Exactly. Yes, but no. No, no, no. No, the thing, yes, the thing that, drives me, that drives me mad is that, and I'm almost finishing writing my blog post about this, but basically I s you look into WebRTC because you want to do 
something, and all the tutorials go, let's create a connection within the same tab, within the same page, right. which is pretty useless. Yes, but I, I, I guess do that some with that, a function. That can be you know, useful to show the APIs what you need to do. Right, right, right. And then they're like, look, we made a connection. We have a data channel. The next step is copy and paste this backend code. And also, don't worry about turn, uh, turn and stun. And then suddenly, the yes. next step is, let's build our own teleconferencing system. Yes. And it's like, that it, is what it, that's kind of, the, it's, it's, I mean, one of raison the, raison d'etre, right? That's, that's why, that's why I'm whispering. I don't know. <laughs> oh, and, and I hate it now that someone's pointed that out, but I, <laughs> yeah. And now, bits. and now, I think always conflating WebRTC with get user media right. is such a, it like inflates the cognitive load of this topic unnecessarily to a point where people just don't bother. So get user media is is the way you can like get, get the, camera input, put it on a canvas, get the microphone. None of that you need. I mean, no, doesn't involve it, WebRTC. WebRTC by itself is just a way to establish a connection between two peers and either use it for data transfer, which is called a data channel, or for a, I think it's called media stream transfer, where you can put media, media streams, streams like which you know uh, does things like. Um, figuring out which codec to use between the two peers and all these things. WebRTC did have teleconferencing and stuff like that in mind when it was being designed. Right. But it's not its sole purpose. And so all tutorials always go straight to skip over the, the, the difficult bits and give you, here's some backend code. Here's some turn server, server URLs. Right. And let's start sending video streams. So what, 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 turn and stun, right? Yeah. Now, now like, let, let, do you know it? Do you know it? Which yes. one is which? OK. I have, once again, a mnemonic for you. Oh, you do? Excellent. OK, well, let me try and guess first. OK. Um, turn is discovery, and stun is the other thing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure what you meant by discovery. So um, I'm going to explain first, and then give you the mnemonic. So, okay, okay. so by default, WebRTC connections are established by you figuring out your own IP addresses. So you figure out, I, okay. I'm available over localhost. Then you get your local IP network IPs. And that's pretty much it. That's what you send over to the other client, and they try to connect. But you send to the other client, I'm available on localhost. Yeah, if you're on the same machine, that works. I, OK, I see. Right? Like yes. you, all the possible addresses that you know you could be available under, you somehow yes. pass to the other client, and then they try to connect. Oh, so you find them all, and they, it just you tries can. them. Yeah, you okay. get, you okay. get in a, a series of events for ICE candidates, and ICE is this protocol on how to establish. Oh my like, God, this is full of. Yes, exactly. An let's ice, not, let's an not. ICE candidate. Yes, it's an ICE. I will vote for ice the ICE candidate. candidate. <laughs> <laughs> That's ICE candidate for president. I say it can't get much worse. I'm, I'm, try, I'm trying to give a good cascade of logical steps. So, okay. um, but that only works if these uh, peers are on the same machine, so localhost works, or on yeah. the same network without client separation, which most public hotspots have. Right. So if you're at home and you have your phone and your laptop, this will most likely already work without a ton stun or a turn server. OK, because they both know their IP address on the same network. They can talk to each other. And then you establish yeah. the connection with all Nothing the leaves the house. Yeah, with the WebRTC right. shenanigans, which is another completely different and super awful topic. Mm -hmm. But if you're not on the same network, right. for example, you're roaming, or not if you're roaming, you're out with your phone, which has a proper public IP. Yes. Um, so no firewalling, but just a public IP. Mm -hmm. The phone doesn't know its public IP necessarily. So that's when a stun server comes into play. The sole right. purpose of a stun server is to receive a request 
figure out which IP this request came from and give back a signal in a WebRTC compatible way that says, this is your public IP. So you can nice. add that to your ICE candidates, because that's another IP that you're potentially reachable under. So it could have just been JSON or something. OK, OK, okay. sorry, sorry. That is not what WebRTC is about. That's right, OK, OK. If, however, you're behind your router at home, or you have a firewall where you know incoming connections are blocked, or you actually have to like do some natting to get back to your actual some, connection. Some natting. We'll that is where that. the turn server comes into play, which is a server in the interwebs that both sides connect to and tunnel that traffic through it. Right. So okay, this is the turn server. It's the turning one. So that means I was wrong. Exactly. Right. And the so way yeah. to remember it for me is like turn has the R, which stands for relay. That's a difficult second album, mate. <laughs> <laughs> it's how I remember it, honestly. Like, no, your, um, yeah, your, you your, your you Flexbox ones were a bit better. It, it was better, yes. but like, that's the mnemonic I have. Because the, that is the relay server that relays your traffic instead of you to the public interweb, right. so both can connect, okay. even if both ends are behind different firewalls in different networks. Is it end-to-end -end encrypted? Uh, probably. Let's say yes. It's, I want to say the safest answer. <laughs> <laughs> totally safe. Totally safe. Um, no problem, sir. Yes. So I, in my experiments, I haven't even bothered with setting up stun or turn. Because okay. I was like, I'm just going to, because what I was doing, I was once again playing around with Comlink. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to expose the entirety of one browser to another browser. So basically, I ha oh. I've exposed the entire window object of Safari to Chrome. And I can change the title of the Safari window from Chrome by calling document dot title equals blah, blah, blah. And it but it is actually a remote object from the other browser with a WebRTC tunnel in between, which is super cool. Yeah, But getting really cool. there was a super painful experience, because you can totally tell that WebRTC was written by people who are in telecommunications and yes. not in web development. I do find that the, the, the web standards, even the, the standards text and the APIs, it does look like it's it was imported from another planet, right? Like a, a completely different way of thinking. It starts out with B, that it's, also, it's already completely asymmetric to start with. So you start with creating an offer okay. that contains what you are. And once you say, this RDC connection, the local end, should fit this offer, whatever that means, you get ICE candidates which describe yourself. Sure. <laughs> Help. <laughs> I need somebody. <laughs> That's what I, I it's, it's super confusing. So you, you create an RTC, connect, RTC peer connection, even though you right. don't have a connection yet. But you start, that's the first thing you do. Right. You create a connection you don't have. Then you create to a nice the candidate. data channels you want to create, because it needs to know what kind of connection you want to have in the end. So even though the connection hasn't been established, you're already thinking about channels and creating the objects. Right. Okay. Then you create this offer, which describes, I guess, what your capabilities are. Like, I can do these codecs. I can accept data channels. I am the uh, passive listener waiting for connections. These kind of things are in there. Something that can be like, a lowest common denominator. I guess. And then you okay. say to the connection, set local description, where you say, I am on the local end. And we're going to do the other bit in a bit. So you set your local connection, and you get a list of your candidates. So now you have the offer and your candidates, and now it is your responsibility as a developer to get these two things, the list of candidates and the offer, to the other side, or to the other peer that wants to connect to you. Right. So peer discovery is not even covered by WebRTC. You already need to know and have a way to communicate with the other end to set up a WebRTC connection. Oh, so that's separate from a, a stunner return server, that, that part that can actually sort of broker the deal yeah. between two. You already need to know where hmm. to talk to to set up the connection. 
So that's why always you have a signaling back end where you basically you say, here's my offer, here's my ICE candidates. And then the other end, the other computer basically, gets those and sets what it, the offer as its remote description. Because from their perspective, that is the other end of the connection. Right. Oh, so, so you're talking to the like the the second the computer wants to you want so you have one right, computer right. and the second computer they want to have a WebRTC connection. Yes. Then somehow out of band you transfer the offer and the ICE candidates to the other computer, and that okay. one uses as its remote description because that is describing the other end of the connection. But then this side has to also generate an answer and another list of peer candidates, and it has to go back out of band. Then this side says, the, other, the original side says, this is my remote connection, and then you can communicate. And it is it sounds confusing, because it is confusing. Do you know what? IndexedDB sounds great now. I know, right? That's, that's, it's fine. It is perfect. It is mind-blowing. And that is, explains to me, A, why nobody is really using it, because it is yeah. really difficult, and B, why the first thing people did is write abstraction libraries on top of it. Right, and there is, but there's some really cool software built around it, like WebTorrent, right? Like there's yeah. just like, some using data channel stuff. That is there's good stuff, amazing stuff happening around it. But you need I, five degrees in computer science and a memory the size of. Like, I mean, Sam spent the last, since I joined, he has been our web RDC person. Yes. And it took me at least a week frequently asking him, who has spent a lot of time to, to get to this point where I'm like, I understand why it's stupid. <laughs> I don't understand it, but I understand why. Is it stupid, though, or is it is it one of those things that it, like, it seems I, crazy complicated, but when you actually look at the problem, I, you're like, oh, it's kind I, of, like, there's no other yeah, way to I do it. I guess you have a point. I'm, I'm being kind of jaded because I don't know the history, and I'm not a telecommunications person. So this might be super intuitive for every telecommunications engineer who has been, you know. Or maybe just as complicated as it has to be. I don't know. I mean, I, 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 I In my naive way, I'm thinking, like, when I already sent over where I am to the second channel, we could already establish a connection, or at least try and only do the, f like, only do the whole sending the other bits back if really necessary. Hmm. But it doesn't work. So you have to do the whole dance, and it's like a different code on one side, and it is on the other side. The one who's initiating has to execute different code than the one who is listening. And it's. I'm terrified. Yeah. <laughs> well, I will have a blog post. So. And but being but like the end result that you got to with the data channel of being able to sort of have like one browser talking to another as if it is just in a worker, that's pretty incredible. That, that it was super weird so because I, I basically exposed the. I have this in comlink as a function called expose, which means this object should be invocable by whoever connects to me. So right. I said, here's the window thing, which means that's where all the globals are on. This is where document is on. This is where navigator is on. This is where the DOM is on. Um, right. So yes. I was able from there on to just evil. Create on elements. There. Yeah, I, I basically Safari. was able to remote manipulate the entire web page. That's really cool. And I, I found it really interesting. It was a little bit weird, because I could do things like query the navigator, and then in Chrome, in the DevTools, it would say WebKit. Or more interesting, I actually exposed console.log, so I could log something in Chrome, and it would appear in DevTools in Safari. And these are just things like, should this be working? <laughs> is that, I mean, it's right. It's it's yeah. a it's a they've agreed. Once somebody exposes window, everything is game technically. So yeah. it's not not a security flaw. It's like if like you're setting up your phone to just open all ports and walk yes. around in the world, right? Like if you're stupid, then yes. If you intend to do it deliberately, yeah. and you're on an origin that can't. But be I feel like there's a lot of interesting patterns to be discovered. Like one mm. of the things that I would like to be able to build on the web is a game like Space Team. Yes. Because yes, I've wanted Web Space Team forever. Like, sh we should explain what Space Team is. You go. Right. It's a game. It's really good. And 
So it, it, you, know, it, you have a device each, usually your device, and you're all connected together in an, as a space team. And it gives you instructions, like turn the thingy bob to 5 or something. But you're all having a dashboard from a spaceship, right? Yes. And different levers, different knobs. And the, and the instruction that you get as a person uh, might not, it, you're, you might not have that control. Yeah. So you have to kind of shout it out, and someone will say, "Yes, I have that control. I'm doing that." And oh, by the way, could someone like activate the warp drive? Yes, could someone sort of clean the bathroom? Like, it's kind of <laughs> silly instructions. Yeah. Mixed with sci-fi stuff. Set flux capacitor to level five. These kind of things. Yes. So you're you're building that for the web. Good. No, right. I'm not. I oh, would like okay. it, but we're still not able. So with, so there's two things that are missing on the web. The first would so because web space team works without internet. You can have just a Bluetooth connection to the other devices, yes. and it would work. Or, and, or like uh, or a Wi-Fi wi without internet. Yeah. And so what we're the key thing that we are missing on the web, I think, is peer discovery. Right. Okay. Because you're right. Because this, the, the, if you need a, a central server to kind of connect two clients together, that space team thing just just can't work. Right. Yeah. It needs that sort of right. And with WebRTC, right. you, you still need the signaling backend, something that is the central point of the initiating central point of the whole dialogue between all the peers. Right. So what I would like to see is something where I could be, you know what? I call myself space team, and I want to broadcast on my local, local network. And then yes. other clients can listen to this broadcast with a string. And, and from there, set up an RTC and, then, and do the Exactly. Rest. And then this could happen. Ah. And that would be really, really cool. Right, so that's homework for anyone listening to this. If we, <laughs> by the next episode, if we could have uh, If somebody could write an explainer team. and put it in the YCG, I would be very happy so. about that. <laughs> <laughs> but also, a bit, like, you could do most of Space Team just with, with that central server that does that. Yes, like well, if we yeah. don't, if we discard the Bluetooth networking or internetless use case, we now could build Space, Space Team on team. the web. Because the only point, once the connection is established, we don't need the backend anymore. It's actually a proper peer-to-peer -peer connection. Unless you need a turn server. Unless there's a turn in between, of course. Yeah. But it is properly peer-to-peer. -peer. There's no, and that's by the, that's what I wanted to say about ICE is about. Like it can find multiple routes between peers because sometimes it could go through your router or it could go directly or it could go between individual hops. Right, but right, ICE right. is about figuring out the most efficient path between two peers. Right. So the most local way to get from one Basically, host to another. Yeah. Right. I see. Um, so in the end, you would actually have a proper peer-to-peer -peer connection. And using that on the web could be really cool. And I see with Comlink, with that, you could actually have the game server. Instead of developing like message passing, you could just invoke functions on the game server, hmm. which in terms of development experience could be really good. So the fact that I, I see potential in, in combining WebRTC and Comlink, but there's work to be done. So when you're falling asleep, do you know you're falling asleep? It depends. There are situations where I'm really, you know the, the whole, you're on the couch, you're watching a movie. Yes, I do. This is exactly what I'm thinking of. And you know your eyes are falling shut. And once you have this thought, oh, I'm just going to rest my eyes for a couple of seconds. If oh, you're yeah. being real, you know, I'm falling asleep now. And right. I love being in this in this twilight zone of thought where like you're the, you perceive the sound from your TV. But yes. your brain is like a completely different realm. And it like incorporates the sounds into like the scenarios that you're thinking. Yes, it does. Right. So th this is kind of like, because um, I, I think I've, well, we had this conversation before the show. I was like, have I talked about the way Jen doesn't realize when she's asleep? And we, we think yes. Because the problem <laughs> is I only have 10 stories, and we're on episode 11 now, I think. So, <laughs> so there's going to be repeating. Time to recycle. Uh, yeah, <laughs> exactly. I worked at the BBC for four years. I know how to do repeats. Uh, but like, the, the way I know I'm falling asleep is I solve problems. Really? I solve problems 
do not exist. <laughs> and that's that's my signal. Like it just it's bef sort of slightly before the eyes shutting or sort of halfway through that that I, my brain will just go. It actually works if I put the coins in a circle. <laughs> and then I go, what coins? I don't know. What's going on? I have that. I I, I know that when you like. You've been working on a problem in your head or some some scenario, and then you gain a little bit more of consciousness, and you can, for the life of you, remember how you got to that thought, and you don't even know the context of it anymore. Yeah, and, and, and it, it's kind of it's one of those things. That it's, and as soon as you try and grab hold of that, what that thought is, it's gone. Because it's gone. I, I always think, oh, what you're thinking right now is really genius. It's really interesting. Yeah. And then you you wake up a little, and you're like, what was it? Oh my god, what yeah. was it? I could cycle the whole way backwards to where. I don't know. On what? I don't know. What am I? What am I talking about? Okay. So that that is literally a, a thing. That I think it, it might be human nature, or it's just oh. us being really weird. But I, I wish I could live in in that moment yes. of realization, of of feeling like I've solved something. That's I, I had a whole chain of that once where I was thinking about how I was falling asleep, mm -hmm. and I was like, interesting. You're thinking about what you're feeling, and then I was like, oh, interesting. Now you're thinking about what you're thinking about. What you're <laughs> Oh, interesting! You're thinking what you're thinking, and I, I just kept recursing down, and I couldn't stop my head from going down that path. So I was just building, like, oh, you're thinking, you're thinking, you're thinking, you're thinking, you're thinking. That's you're thinking. a bad night's sleep. That but, right, wasn't. Like, that's like, like, you get that sort of frantic. Um, I, my worst night's sleep is where I, I try and solve problems that actually exist, especially coding problems, and but I can't hold all of the code in my head at once, so it is just like fake problem solving for like all night. Is that that that's. I had that once I participated in a hackathon back in Berlin. And oh. that's the thing where like, you code 24 hours straight, right? You're just with a team. You tr it was a, a game hackathon. We were just trying to build something. And so everybody was just churning through as hard as they could. And it, we were done. We did our thing. It was cool. But when I, when I went to sleep, it was the most cliche nightmare I've ever had because it was literally fragments of code flying like by. Semicolons like <laughs> kind of a yes. attacking I you. Yes. I was right. like, this was scary, but also so cliche. I don't know why I was actually <laughs> scared. No, but the syntax hiding was nice. <laughs> <laughs> like glowing. So in, t in terms of the web, right? Because we should talk about that. A, OK. A recurring thing. Um, I saw a very interesting proposal from a man named Andrew Betts, ah. who did EdgeConf and stuff. So do you remember my navigation transitions proposal? Yes. So this, this whole idea of like. Is it dead? It's just resting. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it, it might be dead. It might be dead because of the, this, this thing Andrew's come up with, which is, which is interesting. So my proposal was like, uh, on the navigation, there'd be some sort of event. There'd be a period of time where you would have both documents. You'd have mm -hmm. the, the document that's going away, the document that's entering, and so you, you could, could overlay like, do them. An animation between them, whatever. Yep, you could cha like you change the opacity Just of one. Just because yeah, the, the 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 motivation was, if I remember correctly, that whenever you want to do a transition from one view to the next, like blog post listing of blogs to the block one blog post itself, yes, you have to drill all the way down to push state and write your own router and all these things. Yep. And if you had a way to just take use normal links but basically inject a sort of animation. Right. And this is this is one of my like I, I you know, using a framework to build a site is fine when that's what's required, but it's one of the jobs I think we have on the web platform is to see what yeah. when people have to go and do that, when they yeah. have to sort of rewrite the platform. Uh, and I hear this a lot from developers say, I want to do a transition. And all of a sudden, yeah, you're having to reinvent the world, you're having to bring in all of the frameworks to, yeah. to just to do that. Um, 
So this proposal was to try and avoid that. So you could do that transition from one page to another. You still get a, you know, benefits of a full page reload, that kind of like fresh yeah. state sort of thing. Um, Chrome folks weren't so keen. Yeah. They weren't so keen on having the two documents around at once. But there was also a There's lot of concerns about like mobile, where you're under memory pressure pretty much all the time, and keeping a document around for longer is not trivial necessarily. Like this, I remember that you have had a lot of meetings with a lot of people. I had yeah. some of them back then because I was really keen on on the navigation's proposal. But, but there's also sort of strange things like like if you, um, what's what's there between the two documents? Like if you've got both documents hidden or transparent, what's what's in the background? Like it's this okay. new. Is this new thing and how does layout work in that context? It's kind of it's inventing. It's a it was a big proposal. Yeah. Kind of for a very small API, there's quite a lot going on under the hood. Now, Andrew Betts was trying to solve a different problem. Okay. And he was looking at um, in Google search results when you click an AMP link, uh, and especially in the carousel when it sort of becomes full screen mm -hmm. for the article, um, but the URL is still the Google search results stuff. Yeah. Um, sometimes the page is hosted on Google, uh, sometimes not, but it's in an iframe. Ah, OK. Uh, that's why the URL doesn't change. Right, exactly. OK. Uh, I think we sometimes use push state to sort of fake some of this stuff. But he wanted a way to take an iframe and make it the main document. Oh. So you could, you know, it could load as an iframe, it could sit there, and then become, like, just have iframe.promote that returns a promise oh. or something like that. Okay. Yes. Uh, and yes. he and he that, and so that's that was his use case. Mm -hmm. And he actually came to me and went, I think I've like solved navigation transitions at the same time. Interesting. And then I was like, oh, yeah, you have, <laughs> and you've done it in what appears to be a lower level way, like that, using that, that existing mean, primitives. Yeah, and that would mean that would be the f like the first super legitimate use case of iframes. I'll that I would actually get behind. Usually iframes are a smell, right? Whenever you have iframes, people go like, yes. Mm. Well, we talked about this in the, the last show, using them as kind of multi-threading yeah. kind <laughs> of hackery. Yeah. Or yeah. as a streaming parser. Or as a streaming HTML parser, which we've done as well. Um, but yeah, so you, you would be able to like you know bring the iframe in. You could animate it however you want, wow. scroll it in. Fade it in, whatever, and then promote it to the, the, the main. So, document. what exactly does promote mean? The contents of the iframe would replace the entire parent object, or would they get mounted under one element? Well, I think what would happen is the the document as it stands would would go away, would go into the history. Yeah. Um, and then, sort of, the the document that's in the iframe would be pulled out. Okay. And put into like a sort of fresh window. I guess the reason why. I'm Asking is because for me, whenever I do the SPA thing where I have transitions, I usually end up having a header or a menu bar that is persistent. Right. So the iframe would have to contain only the content, right? To, so I could animate it in. Well, but if I promote that, then the menu bar and the header bar would be gone. Well, you could have you, you could put your header bar and you could um, like use. Z index or, or whatever to bring the header bar to the top and then slide the iframe in, which also has its own header bar, but it's underneath <laughs> the one in your document, and then promote, and the user wouldn't see I guess, that happening. I guess the only thing that I would need is some sort of CSS query if I'm currently in the iframe or not. Because I could hide the, the, the menu bar and the header bar, have sure. transition, and then 
pop back in. And basically, the user would be indistinguishable. Well, the nice thing about it being an iframe is you have full scripting access, right? So you can yeah. go and add whatever class names you oh, want. I can just send a post and message in there. Or I can yeah. use comlink. You, you could use, uh, yes, yes, to a hammer. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, you know, but if it's same origin, then especially you yeah. can just go in and call whatever. All right, I can, yeah, I can just call. Just add a class name, move it, move it in, remove the class okay, name. Let's not just comlink. I'm sorry. No, no, you, 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 you can. You can use comlink if you want. That's, that's, that's the fine. thing. Like I, I am becoming a hammer right now because I'm just looking for things that I can do with. But I, I'm distracting. No, no, no. That sounds I, sounds. Um, so what, what has been the feedback so far? How have um, people been reacting to it? So the complication happens around. Uh, Security. Don't say about blank. Oh, I mean, no, maybe, <laughs> possibly. No, that should be fine. But security is an issue that if the iframe has restrictions placed on itself, what happens with to like those a sandbox attribute or like a sandbox like CSP mm -hmm. or, or whatever? Uh, what happens when that's promoted? Do those rules persist or do they go away? Um, uh, yeah, that makes sense. So I feel like I'm not sure if everybody's familiar with sandbox because. I've just recently learned about it because we're using it extensively on developers.google.com. Mm. But basically, it allows you to restrict. If you just give an iframe the sandbox attribute, that iframe is basically going to have no capabilities. It can't even run scripts. Can't run scripts. It's on its own origin. Uh, but you, you can kind of opt into these yeah, features like going it, back. The sandbox attribute itself just removes pretty much all attributes. But mm. then you can give increasing. You can say, OK, this one is allowed to do scripts. This one should behave as a cross-origin, even though it's not, or same origin if it is. And it will generate like a, a random origin for it for, for yeah. its life. So I actually use this on um, SVG OMG. Ah. Because you know people are going to put their SVG in there. Yeah. Um, SVGs can run script. Really? Today yeah. I learned. SVG can have a script element. It's it's you know, do what you want. It's just a browsing context essentially. Yeah, true. So I wanted that to be able to display that, but not mess around with the, yeah. the, the origin. You know, I don't want the site just broken just by dragging a, an SVG in there. So yeah, in an iframe, um, allow script, mm -hmm. but it's on its own origin, so it can only it cannot burst out and manipulate SVG only. Yeah, oh, so okay. it means if your SVG has JavaScript-driven animation, that all works, but it, it can't okay. it can't break the the parent origin. So yes, yeah, so I guess that is a problem. Like, what do you do if the iframe has these restrictions placed on it and then you promote it? Yeah, and that's a question still <laughs> that I don't have answers to. I was hoping to put well, you on the spot. Well, no, I, I, what Andrew's suggesting is that those restrictions go away. Um, but the, the problem is uh, browsers that have a, a, a back forward cache. Yeah. Explain back forward cache. <sighs> Basically, if I remember it correctly, yep. it is a cache. Yes, correct. Good. And Done. for back and forward, no. So, so for the back and forwards buttons uh, in the browser, you can yeah. go back without actually having to not only refetch or reload the website, but to go back to the actual state. It keeps the document running. Yeah. So um, yeah. Not, not, I mean, not running, running, but it saves the state. It's not like gonna. It's not gonna be like set timeout or something. It's gonna get called while in the back in the back forward cache, right? I no, you're right. I think it gets. Com it's completely it's suspended. Like, yeah. But it's still in memory entirely. It is in memory, so that means sometimes you know you navigate. And you said, oh, I had content in the text area that I really would like not to lose. That's where the BF cache, as it's called, I think, yep. really comes to the rescue. It's like and it's really I fast as well. Uh, and Chrome is as a cache is supposed to. Yes, and Chrome is one of the only browsers that doesn't have it. So there's a there's a bug in CR bug from I don't know 1998 is like <laughs> one of the first bugs um, to like maybe we should implement one of these and we haven't so far but it is interesting but yes but it's a problem like if you you know if you have these security restrictions lifted you 
yeah. act on that, and then you go back to being in an iframe. I mean, I could like, also you know. see that we only allow promote on iframes that qualify for being promoted, meaning they would have to allow all these operations that a full frame window would need as well. Right, of course. But that yeah. I'll, I'll, at this point, I think I'll just defer to the standards people, because they're so much better at seeing the big picture, because you know the, the spec world has a really big picture. And, and on that note, we, we got some listener feedback. <laughs> from someone who is a lot better at standards. Because uh. in the previous episode, we were talking about event loops. And, and I said something along the lines of, all pages on a similar origin share an event loop. You might have said that. I definitely said that. So, so that would be like. Let me guess, you've been obsessing over where you were wrong for the last couple of weeks. I, do you know what? I wasn't, because I, I was just very efficiently told. <laughs> by someone else. I thought I was right. And, and you know, it was actually Arne van Kestren who like, does a, a lot of the work on the HTML spec. A lot the almost spec, being an understatement. Spec. <laughs> and, you know, he's also, he also always weighs in on the Houdini spec, so he is, just has his fingers. The, there are five of them, or maybe Pretty 20. I, or I, I would 100. not be surprised. Um, but he's really good at this stuff. And he, he pointed out that the, the bit in the spec that says like, one event loop um, it, it says something like per unit of similar origin uh, browsing oh, context. That's, that, I totally know what that means right well, away. So similar origin is is like things document dot domain can yeah. reach the same thing mm -hmm. on. And the bit I didn't do my full research on was a unit. Because uh, a unit is described somewhere else as being a set of browsing contexts that have some contact with each other. <laughs> but yeah, some contact is defined somewhere else. Oh, well, well, some, some, yes, it is. There is a bullet point list in the spec that says, uh, well, but it's things like uh, window.open, you've got a mm. handler. You have a point of yeah. contact. In iframe, you have the element content window. You've got a point of contact. Yeah. Um, Which is something that we were like hand waving about last time. I think like, oh, I think if you can call into it, it needs to be on the same event loop. Ex exactly. And yeah, and, and um, about, no, not about blank, uh, underscore blank target, yeah. you still get a handler with uh, dot opener. And, no opener uh, means you don't have that. And Chrome runs it in a different event loop. And in the last podcast, I said, that's a bug. Not, Not a bug. bug. So just problem solved. Excellent. Nothing to fix. That's, that's, that's a happy story. So, so yeah. But that also means running it on the same event is not necessarily a bug either. It's just something that could be optimized. No, because a browser can be single threaded. Yeah, right. So in which case, everything is running on the same event loop. And that's, you know. Um, can you run Chrome in like a single-threaded mode just to see what it feels like? Well, uh, Firefox only recently went multi-process. Really? Yeah. I did not know that. Um, whether whether it was um, threaded, but in the same process that I'm less like, sure of. But like Inter Internet Explorer um, six, probably sure, seven. Sure, but I mean entirely single-threaded. I mean like nowadays with the web being the web. And then limiting to one thread, web browsers don't. Yeah. Uh, web, web, web authors currently, at least, don't yield very often. Right. It but should be an interesting experience. And, and this is something you'll notice that if you do manage to like crash a tab, then sometimes like free tabs will yeah. go down with it, and oh, they were ones that were in the same process. That was that was part of the same thing, and that's why an Internet Explorer oh, six the whole thing. Would, yeah. Would have to go down. Good times, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. So you know, if anyone else thinks we're wrong about anything, prob no. probably are. Um, I'd be surprised if not. We, we, yeah, we will. We will announce it <laughs> and feel the shame. 
feel the shame on so, there that we deserve. Speaking of things where I was wrong, oh. I, I, so you know how JavaScript has now these primitives like map and set and weak map and all these like little nice data structures to, to build things? Yes. I wanted to build something with a weak map. Yes, and weak maps are great. They're underused, but great. I actually thought I would need to use them in Comlink, but it turns out I don't. So just so, to name drop Comlink again. Yeah, so, so we, have, we, we haven't mentioned that in the past Whatever section we edit out, it's so. going to get mentioned. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I see. You've spread your bets. That's very good. <laughs> we should say like, you know, weak maps are a way of associating an object with another object. And see, um, you already said that. And this is where I was already wrong, because I just wanted to have strings mapping to objects. My, my, my concept was I just have a list of keys Strings, you know, strings, strings. Some strings. And I and I want to map them to objects, but I wanted to allow these objects to get garbage collected if necessary, which is the purpose of a weak map. You can have them in this map, but it doesn't right. prevent garbage collection. So we have this. Uh, so I should say that one of the good use cases for this is like we, we used to put like if you wanted some data associated with a DOM node, say mm -hmm. we used to use like expandos. We used to just like you yeah. put DOM node dot underscore some data. We got data attributes in the end, but um, no. what if it wanted to be objects or something? And a weak map's a great way of saying, this object that I don't really want to edit because I don't own its like, yeah. prototype, I want to associate with this set of data I do own. Yeah. And then, so then if that DOM node goes out of reference because it's like removed and you know, nothing's got access to it, then your object as well can be garbage collected if there's no reference to it. Ah, so this is where I was wrong. It's not about the values not being garbage collected, but the keys not being garbage collected. Yes. So you get to you get to keep your access, your ability to access the value as long as you have the key. And that's why strings don't work. Yes. Because it's a well, and, and it's, it's, yep. tr it's true for numbers as well. It's true for all primitives. Yes, you need to have. They all I found out that you need to have an object. I didn't understand why, but I guess this is where my mental model of the weak map was wrong because I thought the keys are just keys. But the values could get garbage collected even if they're still in the map. But it's the keys that still can get garbage collected yes. even if they're in use in the weak map. And you use your key to unlock the, the door to get access to the value, you see. Oh, so, but see, you gave me the mnemonic. mnemonic. There That's amazing. It's better than R is for relay, which annoyingly I'm going to remember for the see? rest of my life, even see? though it's it, rubbish. It's not rubbish. <laughs> that's how mnemonics work, y'all. But yeah, yeah. We've got, um, and one of the things that I've, I've Always been baffled by is like weak set. Yeah. So like, one thing that neither weak map nor weak set have. So I guess it, just to explain, the weak map is a thing. You know, the keys can get garbage collected. Great. Excellent. Correct. Yes, that's true. That's true. Um, and the set, it's just a set. The no thing can be in there twice, but also doesn't prevent garbage collection. Yep. So map but, with only keys. But neither of them are iterable. Right. Because that would expose garbage collection. Yeah. And that and that's a. A rule of the web for reasons I don't fully understand, but it is a rule that we don't want to expose that for some reason. Like so, you, you, I guess that's because it would be massively different across browsers and time sensitive and all of that sort of stuff. So arguably, so could even leak certain things. It could be a fingerprinting vector as well. If you have like got quite a few of those message port from another iframe, you could detect if the iframe has been gone. I don't know. But yeah. security people would know. I don't. Exactly. So yeah, so weak sets. The, do, you, do you have a use case for weak set? No. So I, I, I think I figured it out. Have it's worth whispering for. It's a, yeah, it's a, it's it's a, a secret. It's a secret. I've got a secret use case. 
<laughs> so it's when, um, have you ever used a, a, a weak map where you know the key is an object? I think we used a weak map, really, so I know. Have you not? I, well, oh, they were great, but, but where <laughs> the value is true. So I, Which is a common practice to emulate a set. <laughs> Exactly, and I had this, and I and this is because I've been thinking for ages, like oh, weak set, it's useless. And I had a piece of code where I needed to, uh, I needed to tag uh, a request uh, object in that, like mm -hmm. I've dealt with this request object, or I've dealt with this re response, or I wanted, I wanted to say, um, I, I wanted to say I've had this is from the, if it was a response, I wanted to say this is from the cache, and I started mm. with just using expando underscore from cache equals true, and then TypeScript complained. And so I thought, oh, I'm going to do this properly. OK. Um, oh. So I ended up with a weak map where the value was true. And I stood back and thought, no, this is not a weak map. This is a weak set. I might actually have to use this, because my current approach to what you just said, basically marking elements as having been processed already, mm -hmm. is um, the expander thing. But instead of using underscore something, I use symbols, because those are guaranteed not to clash. So it feels. Safe. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But this one is arguably better, right? Because you're you're keeping the separation of data. Yeah. And at some point, like the symbol thing, or it's possible that TypeScript will start complaining about yeah, that. Yeah, and well, I just augment like the type in TypeScript and say like, this thing is now on this type. Right. Okay. <laughs> Which is what I did as well, and I wanted to not do that. And yeah, and so th that's the thing. If you want oh, some associated piece of data, there you I, go. I will try to refactor that. that I learned something today. Yep. I've become a better web developer. Although, to be honest, that is probably something that I would expect to be in React somewhere, or like any framework. Because I feel every framework it has some kind of upgrading mechanism. Like you have DOM, and you need to, what did we call it? Hydrate it. Yes. Or do any kind of processing on DOM. So like we are now aware that this is not only DOM, but this is tied to a, a React component, for example. Yep. This is where this would come into play. So th this is something that um, HyperHTML uses. Oh. So we, we were talking about this in, in the last episode. So we are, we are on fire with our references today. It's gonna. This whole episode will make no sense <laughs> to anyone who didn't listen to the last one. But that's so. If you're if you've got like a sort of um, uh, HyperHTML calls it a wire, but it's kind of like a partial. Um, so you, you know you've got a list element and you, you you've got something to create list items from like an object. Mm -hmm. Uh, HyperHTML wants you to use a, an object, you know, give it an object that it will associate that set of data with. Oh, uh, and so nice. usually that will be an object you have that represents the array of things. Uh, so that means that if stuff like um, you know when you go in and, and it's how you know how it knows you're modifying an existing list rather Smart. than yeah use this, use a weak map and it means it doesn't leak memory because as soon as your object goes out of reference, so does HyperHTML's cache. So I think. Yeah, it really is like they're a little bit of the unsung heroes of the JavaScript, the ECMAScript. What is it? I, is it this it's ECMAScript, but sometimes it's JavaScript. <laughs> and if we were going to tell people what the rules were, we should have discussed that before the show, where <laughs> I could have written it on this beautiful piece of paper and sounded smart. <laughs> In reality, I, I, I just remembered Dominic. Was, oh, I'm not even sure who was Dominic. I'm just going to say it was Dominic who said, it's not worth having a distinction. Just call it JavaScript. Actually, it was no, it wasn't. It was Brent Nike who said that. Oh, okay. He said, well, just call it JavaScript, people. Just call it JavaScript. I would do. That. I, I I will put the tweet in the notes because <laughs> people are going to scold me otherwise. Yeah, it was he himself. Oh, we should probably stop talking. We're probably already over an hour again. We've been going. <laughs> yeah, like I say, it's a marathon, not a race. Yeah. Right. Well, uh, until next time. I'll see you then. See you then. Bye.